Hello and welcome to episode 252 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. And we've officially got some spring training action under our belts. The Blue Jays started their season, spring training season, that is, yesterday um, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They won that game 9-7. It's not so much of the results that matter, but what we saw from individual players, and we'll be talking about that today as well as some of the other action from spring training so far. Bryson, Jacob, how are you guys? Doing great, Mark. We finally have baseball back. We got games to talk about now. We are officially nonstop baseball till October. We just don't know exactly when in October that'll stop, but the good news is we are now covered basically for the rest of the year, so times couldn't be any more exciting. We saw our first taste of action yesterday, and of course, the main highlight, I think, was the bearded Yusei Kikuchi. So that was very good to see. And of course, another game this afternoon when we record, and it's just nonstop for the rest of the uh, the summer. Yeah, I've said this before. I think that the spring and fall are the two best times to be a sports fan because you get you got your hockey, you got your baseball, you got your basketball, and I think I'm not going to mention the team. Bingo. I'm not. I'm not. Nope. Not happening. But. It's a fun time because, I mean, look at today when we're recording on Sunday. You got all three Toronto teams in action. Yeah, it's preseason. Who cares? It's fun. I'm loving it. Nope, not happening. But, no, it is great. And, you know, speaking of Yusei Kikuchi, before we get to him more in depth, it's. I just want to say it is absolutely great. The just amount of support he's getting on social media. It seems like people are not just like jokingly supporting him. It seems like they actually want him to do well. And I think it, it, it just shows that this team is ready to just take in everything and compete. I will agree with Jacob that it's the best time of the year because we do get the F1 season picking up next week, which I'm very excited for. Um, And I know that's not on our uh, bingo card of sports that we're mentioning, but (laughs) the F1 season is starting soon. I'm excited about that. Um, Also, it's like negative 20 in Ottawa and it's snowing buckets right now outside my window. And the fact that we now have some nice Florida weather to watch on the TV and the fact that we know that spring is coming and it's not too far away. It's pretty exciting. Um, the big caveat before we get into anything today is that we have one game. It's a tiny sample size. And although it's the best sample we have so far of what these players are going to look like this season, we are going to overreact. And we are going to dig too deeply into these numbers and the results that we saw yesterday. And this is going to be the case all through spring training, but especially today when we have one game to work off of. So that's just a friendly caveat before we get into that. But that in mind, let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi. And this was kind of the headliner from day one of camp because obviously there's so many questions surrounding him and his performance this season and what his role with the Blue Jays might look like. And he comes out, pitches the first two innings of yesterday's games, and looks really, really solid. He gets 14 swings and misses on 33 pitches, and he gets seven whiffs on 11 breaking balls. Um, And he looked really, really, really solid. And it was really encouraging because he seemed to have good command, he seemed to have good movement, and he seemed to be relying and trusting his breaking ball to get strikes, which was kind of the biggest problem last season, especially as he struggled. It was the fact that he would throw his fastball, rely on his fastball, not throw his breaking ball, and not trust his breaking ball to get strikes. And the fact that we're seeing that from him is really encouraging. Again, all those caveats in mind, first day of spring training, we have a two-inning sample size. He did look really, really good. I'm curious what you guys took away from his outing. Well, let's not forget, it's also two innings against like half of Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, which 
not the most competitive team. That being said, though, I think it is it, it is it is encouraging. Like, yeah, okay, it's two innings, but when he looks fantastic in those two innings, I think that that is something that you can look at and say, okay, it's perfect. I mean, five strikeouts, only the one hit allowed, two innings. I really don't have any concerns after seeing that. Like, it looked as if he was in command, in control of it, even even if he was getting behind hitters, letting guys get on base. It's not like it was coming back to bite him. And, I mean, obviously, look at the, the zero walks there. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It was two innings. It's, how many people can you walk in two innings? But it was a good outing. And I think the thing is, is he knows that his job, yeah, he's got a contract for another year after this year, but he kind of knows his job's on the line here. Blue Jays are going to be competitive this year. Even if you just want to be the fifth starter, you, you can't be high five ERA. Like, you need to be mid mid fours at absolute worst, or, I mean, best if you want to call it that. So I think for him, it's just getting, getting those those reps in get I mean he's obviously going to throw bullpen sessions and do things outside of actual game action but if this is what he's able to do throw two innings here an inning there three innings you know maybe they stretch him out later throughout spring training three four five innings I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to just get those reps in and then hopefully have a much better season I think it, it, that is fair to say I mean look at other guys that we saw you know Zach Thompson Trent Thornton we didn't you know, Jay Jackson and then or Jackson and then Paul Fry. Like it's these names are not ones that you're probably going to see on the roster. But if you're Yusei Kikuchi, you know that you're not just getting thrown in with these guys because it's like I get them, get them out early, like weed them out. No, they, he is here early because he wants to prove what he can do. And I think that he overall did do what he needs to do. They play. I mean, today or no, they have. Yeah, they do play today, and then they have an off or the keep playing I, I don't know I, somewhere on the broadcast mentioned an off day and I'm like damn where was that off day before I say it but it was the pirates off day today that's what it was because <laughs> it was a pirates broadcast yeah I forgot about that oh my goodness okay <laughs> all right spring training for us too as the, as the announcers would say but um no it realistically okay, like spring training is now going to last for the, the rest of the month the rest of or most of next month I think Yusei Kikuchi is going to get a lot of reps in and I don't, I don't really have any concerns right now and until he shows me concerns. Like, all signs previously before the rest of the team reported pitchers and catchers looked good. The beard is working its magic. He now has a good outing in spring training. I think this is this is a good sign. And we don't really care about the result that much. Like, if he, you know, or if the team loses, you know, 9-7 to seven, instead of win 9-7, to seven, but he has a good outing, it's perfect. And, and that's really what you can look for in spring training is what are... What are the key players that you expect to take you into the reg- regular season? What are they doing in the games? And I think Yusei Kikuchi, call him a key player. He had a good outing, and you know now it's on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, we try not to get too carried away, uh, pretty much what you guys were saying off the top, but it's a good start, and it's a good way to begin the spring, of course, for Yusei Kikuchi. And Mark, you talked about it. I think that was the main takeaway for me yesterday, was just looking at the usage uh, that he was basically relying on the slider and the off-speed. And he really wasn't throwing his fastball anywhere, or I think he threw it just as much as his changeup. But the highlight was is that it wasn't just a dominant fastball approach. And then last year, that was what the Jays tried to get him to do, and it's just obviously that didn't work out. But in this case, he seemed more comfortable. You know, he made his own mechanical uh, changes throughout the offseason, and then he was attacking the zone. He looked confident. Uh, he was in a flow. Of course, the pitch clock had a lot to do with that pretty much the entire game was in a flow, but he seemed to be in a really good flow uh, in terms of just attacking, attacking, and confidence. I mean, Jacob, you met, you met, or you mentioned earlier, I mean, how many guys can you walk into innings? 
The Yusei Kikuchi experience last year would tell you otherwise in terms of all the amount of guys that he would walk early on and just the amount of pitches it would take for him to get through an at-bat. And I think that was the highlight is that it wasn't taking or taking him as many pitches. He was attacking the zone. He looked confident. He really did. And he was striking people out. He had five strikeouts in two innings. And that's a very, very good start, of course, for somebody who was um, only pitching two innings in his first spring appearance. So it, it was crucial for him, I thought, to get off to a good start. We've talked about it a little bit now over the past couple weeks that really outside of Kikuchi, at the moment going into the season, there isn't really a lot of alternatives in terms of who he can lose his job to unless Yusei Kikuchi really had a horrible spring in terms of they had no choice but to go with somebody else. If he pitches average, if he pitches fine, and if he sure as heck pitches like the way he did yesterday, he's going to be just fine rolling into the season as the fifth starter, and I think that is what the uh, expectation is from all of us as well. And most of the people, even before the start yesterday, knew that Yusei Kikuchi's job here or job as the fifth starter was likely to come out of the spring. So there's so much that we can obviously try and dissect, but again, it was a very, very small sample size. I don't want to completely overreact or, you know, uh, jump on the train that everything is solved. I think a lot of people want to believe that, of course, and I sure as heck want to believe that as well. It was really good what we saw from him yesterday. I don't want to take anything away from that. And basically, if you heard what he said after the game too, he basically came out, and admitted that he knows that he has to perform this year. Uh, he has really, you know, he has expectations he's got to live up for or live up to. And I think he also knows that this is a really big year for him as well in terms of what his future holds. But despite, uh, like you were saying, Jacob, despite the extra year in his contract for next year, he's really just trying to stay afloat and make sure he's on this roster th- or to begin the year and, of course, throughout the year. And in his case, he would like to be in the starting rotation. Uh, for the rest of the year as well. So that's something that he's going to have to continue to build build off of. And there's confidence there that right now, going into his next start, whenever that will be, it's got to be at a high. And I don't think, you know, I think another big part of it is I just, I don't think he has to, or I don't think he should try and overthink it. I think that there was lots of opportunities last year where it just felt like every start he made in terms of it was a good start and then it would kind of go back downhill. And it just felt like, Every time in between those days, in between those five days, there was a lot of changes being made on the fly in terms of fastball usage or just any other pitch usage. I mean, his buildup, his windup, where he puts his glove. And usually when you're doing that every start, like in the middle of the season or at the beginning of the season, and you haven't had it figured out, it's it, to me, uh, it's a cause for concern. And it's, like, I guess a similar comparison would be Jose Barrios. I mean, he was another one who would continue to try and make changes to his delivery and just make different strategic uh, changes every five days. And it just didn't work out for either of them. And it just feels like when you're doing that each time uh, in those five days, you're overthinking it. And then, of course, you're not exactly going to get the success that you're envisioning. So I think the offseason for him, uh, going back to Kikuchi now, was obviously a very good opportunity for him to finally try and Uh, figure something out in terms of a change and stick with it don't overthink it be yourself and it looked like he just it looked like he was being himself yesterday in terms of his control in terms of his confidence and you have to be optimistic uh, heading into his next start but of course we need to see much more and I think obviously the Blue Jays need to see much more as well so that's going to be another intriguing note as the spring goes on I think early or entering the spring it was always something that we kind of had in the back of our head that we'd like to see how Yusei Kikuchi is going to pitch because, of course, technically, the fifth spot, of course, still isn't set in stone. But 
as the spring goes on and if he continues to pitch well, I think the interest in terms of how he's going to perform the rest of the way is going to continue to increase. Because for me, obviously, going into the next start, it's increased in terms of what I'm going to be looking for now as well to see if he can continue to build off of that. And I think that's going to continue to build and build as long as everything goes well for him as the spring uh, continues. Yeah, I think it's really important that he has something to build off of now. Yeah. Like, we talk about that all the time, and I know you mentioned the tweaking and that sort of thing, but to have a good baseline set of, okay, if I pitch like this, if I trust my breaking pitches, if I don't hammer fastballs all the time, I'm going to be successful. I can build off this. I can take this approach into the next game and try to replicate it and try to build off it. I think that's really important. For someone like Yusei Kikuchi and, I mean, someone like Jose Brios, who's the other guy who's going to be in this conversation all spring of what are we seeing from him? What does that start looking like? What is his pitch mix looking like? Are we confident in what is going to happen when the season starts? These two guys are going to be in that conversation for the entirety of spring training. And for both of them, setting a good baseline, having something to build off of, creating at least some confidence in the approach that the Blue Jays have mandated they take, I think that's really important. And I'm really glad that we saw it with Yusei Kikuchi. And like, yeah, this is a really big story for both of these guys, for both Jose Brios and Yusei Kikuchi. This is a really big story. Um, We underlined it in previous podcasts, but what happens with the two of them could be the difference between, I don't know if I want to say a 100-win team and a 90-win team, but maybe a 95-win team and an 85-win team, which when you're in the AL East might be a difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Um, so I think you know the importance of these two guys to the Blue Jays' success this season cannot be overstated, and it's really, really important that we saw Yusei Kikuchi get off to a good start. Again, it's two innings, and we're overreacting to it. But bottom line, it's a good sign. Um, The other thing we want to talk about from the first spring training game was some of the offensive production that we saw. So we saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a home run. We also saw a bomb from Addison Barger. And we've been talking a little bit about Addison Barger so far this spring training. But I feel like we haven't dedicated an entire conversation to him. So let's do that now. Uh, First off, I didn't realize how big he was. Watching the broadcast, he's a big guy. And then also one of our listeners, after I said that in our Discord, sent me a picture from earlier this spring training. I think it was Scott Mitchell put it out and said, like, third baseman, second baseman, shortstop, and linebacker. And it's true. Addison Barger is huge. And that's the first thing that jumps out to me. So it's nice to see that he got a home run. A lot of people on Twitter saying, you know, Let's forget about this whole super utility label for Addison Barger because he can be a lot better than that. So again, spring training, early results. We literally saw one or two at-bats from him and he happened to hit a home run in one of those. And we know how many prospects in the past have come up, hit a home run in spring training. Everyone gets excited and then forgets about them in two weeks. But I learned a lot about Addison Barger in yesterday's game. And I don't know, I think... He's just huge. (laughs) I can't get over it. You know, seeing him in the batter's box is wild. Well, he's entering his age 24 season. And I mean, kind of fits in perfectly with that age that, I mean, the Blue Jays are at right now. You want that young talent. And Sportsnet has him listed as six feet, 175 pounds. Like that is, it's quite big. Like he, he is, when I looked at him in the broadcast, I was like, holy crap. Like, you sure that's like a baseball player? (laughs) But um, no, I like. I like it. Like he looked, he looked decent. I mean, like like you said, it was only what was he even credited with three at bats. Obviously, the the one home run in the RBI. Like it, it wasn't a bad 
you know, spring training debut for him. It was pretty good spring training debut for him, I mean, to say the least. But I want to see more from him. And, and I think the Blue Jays are kind of at that weird, weird but good state where, like, most of their lineup is kind of already set or most of their roster. Like, you know the rotation, except for Kikuchi, I guess. But even him, I would consider him more of a lock than not. You pretty much know the bullpen with few exceptions. You, you pretty much know the infield, the outfield. However, that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there are a few guys that squeak in. I mean, we talk about, and, uh, you know, I know people are not going to like this, but we talk about Kevin Biggio. I I really don't think he makes the, the, the team this year. Or at least stays on it for a long time. Like, I really, I really see the Blue Jays being a lot uh, less lenient with him this season. Wow. That does open a roster spot. And I mean... If you can play every position, like if you can, if you can throw him out in the in the you know anywhere in the middle infield or really anywhere in the infield except for catcher, and you can throw him in the outfield, as I can see you guys don't like my Biggio prediction, <laughs> but uh, you can throw him anywhere. He almost kind of reminds me of a Whit Merrifield, although very different roles. He can play anywhere. I, I wouldn't, you know, if he has a good spring. All, all I'm saying is there's room for him. It's not like a couple years ago where we we're like, oh, Josh Palacios. I think it was him. He was having like a really good outfield spring training, but they had just signed Springer. So I was like, yeah, there's no way he makes it. I wouldn't be surprised if he legitimately has a shot if guys like Biggio um, underperform. Wow. The coming of the heat. Uh, yeah. I I don't think there's so. There's a lot to unpack there, Brayson. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, give me a minute here. I mean, I just, for me, I, I don't see that happening. I mean, Addison Barger, of course, he does have that super utility label. And I think that's also going to help him when he does obviously get an opportunity. Because uh, Mark asked us last week if we thought he was going to make the opening day roster. And all three of us said no. Jacob, your opinion has changed over a couple at-bats, which is interesting. And there's still a lot to unpack. So I think we're going to go back and forth a few times. But for me, I still agree and stand by what I said uh, last week from when Mark brought that up. Although it is almost certainly a lock that I think he will be at, on the team at some point this year. So I just, for me though, I don't, I don't see him coming off or making the roster barring any sort of injury out of the spring. I mean, he also came out and said he's most comfortable at shortstop, despite that he can play third and second. I just, for me, I think Biggio uh, and Espinal are going to be the guys at second base. And of course, what Merrifield's going to be around there as well. But going back to his game yesterday, I mean, we knew, we've talked about him a little bit, like you were talking about Mark. And we talked about how, you know, there's been a lot of people have also made the connection in terms of, you know, Matt Chapman's replacement if Matt Chapman decides to depart at the end of the year. I don't know if we're going to go to that extent, but I do think he's going to be in their plans at some point. And uh, he was basically a guy that pretty much worked his way up last year very fast. He started off with Vancouver and he ended the year in Buffalo and he really had a spectacular season uh, combined in all three of the levels. He went to the Arizona Fall League as well this year. So, He's been playing a lot of baseball, and the one thing I do think, though, and I think it's very obvious, is that he's going to be a guy that we see a lot of this spring in terms of you know, starting and maybe coming off the bench at some points as well. He's going to get a very good look, and I'm sure he's already given a really good look, of course, before the games have even started, but he is a freak uh, in terms of his shape and his build, and he really does have power. Like You saw his swing yesterday. And he just destroyed the baseball. And it was just a beautiful swing. And he really enjoyed that home run, you can tell. So it's really good, though, that the Jays have this depth in terms of the other options. And, you know, we another thing that we touched on last week is that it felt like for the most part, in terms of the infield, it was set in stone. And really the one, I guess, position that still remains open is going to be that fourth outfielder spot. And I mentioned that Nathan Lucas was still the projected guy uh, to, I guess, crack the opening day roster as that fourth guy. So we'll see what happens with that. But 
for me, it's still, it feels like this roster is still almost set in stone uh, before we jump to any conclusions. But of course, Addison Barger is going to be a guy that the Jays, uh, or he will be on the Jays at some point this year, and he'll probably be on the team uh, multiple times throughout the year. And when he does get those opportunities, as well as finishing off the spring on a really good note, as long as everything goes to plan with him on that one, He's going to get a look at some point this year as well in the major leagues. And the other thing for him, too, is that he is going to have to start. If he does start in the minor leagues, he's going to have to get off to a really good start as well. But the good news is he's young. And, of course, he was a Blue Jays draft pick of 2018. So this is a guy that the Jays developed. He looked really good. And you have to imagine that at some point, if he continues to have a good spring, he's eventually going to force their hand at some point. Yeah, I think he'll force their hand at some point. But I really don't see it happening at the start of the season still. And I don't think he's stealing Kevin Biggio's job, to be honest. Like, I just to talk about Kevin Biggio for a minute, I think Biggio is starting the season with this team, barring any injuries. And if things go south over the first month or two, yeah, they'll cut bait, they'll trade him, they'll DFA him, they'll do whatever, because I think his rope is close to running out, but I don't think it's out yet. And I think they want to give him another shot. Maybe... In a month or two into the season, that's where the door for Addison Barger opens or if there's an injury or something, but I don't think that door is open right at the start of spring training. And just to talk a little bit more on on Barger, um, I don't know what you guys thought about that leg kick, but it was a huge leg kick, which is super noticeable in the swing, and I love it because obviously it gives him power. I guess the only concern would be the strikeout numbers, and I don't know how... I guess, how long he's had this leg kick in his swing. Like, I don't know if he put it in last year, and that kind of explains why he rose through the Blue Jays system so much. I don't know. We don't have a complete picture, but just looking at the strikeout numbers, they don't look terrible. He had 131 strikeouts last season across the three levels of the minors, 124 games. And when you're comparing it to the walks, you have 48 walks. So, I mean, you could even out those numbers a little bit, but to be honest, with this day and age, those numbers don't seem terrible. So that'd be my main concern with the leg kick. I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my rear end here, but I don't know how much the leg kick would translate from the minors to the majors. If you're up against higher velocity, like you're going to be going up against relievers who are throwing more than 100. And I don't know if you really see that much as much in the minors, especially in some of the lower levels that he's been at, seeing that he's only got about, I think, eight games in AAA. I wonder how the leg kick translates against higher velocity. Um, and so that would be, I guess, my concern about him transitioning to AAA to start off with, because we know the jump between AA and AAA pitching is really extreme, but then also AAA to the majors just because of the velocity and the leg kick. So I don't know. That's one thing that I'm curious to watch with him, not really like a big concern because I'm sure the Blue Jays know what they're doing more than we do when it comes to player development and they understand the mechanics of his swing better than we do but that was just something that I was thinking about that again might be talking about in my rear end here but I thought was interesting with him um but yeah I don't think he's got eight games in AAA like we need to slow down a little bit it's one game he hit one home run but I do think we'll see him in the majors at some point and just one final note on him the stats are definitely lying on his weight he has not, it, either it hasn't been updated since last season, he bulked up a lot, or it's at 175. He is not 175. He is 200 on a very, very good day. He's definitely way, way up there. And the, I guess the last thing I'll say on him, I'm very excited about Addison Barger right now, but the last thing I'll say is he reminds me of Josh Donaldson with a leg kick, 
with the size. Um, and I guess not so much the position. I know like third base, yes, but I know Addison Berger is a little bit more versatile, but I think that'd be my favorite player comp right now. Anyways, if you guys have any thoughts on that, I'm all ears. Well, I just want to quickly mention that light kick. Like the whole thing, I think it was Kevin Pillar a couple like a couple of years ago, but a, a while back at this point, he, I mean, he was kind of known for swinging at somehow a pitch at his head, and he would still hit a home run. But um, I remember one of his first couple full seasons, his leg kick was very pronounced, and Blue Jays ended up working with him to to reduce that. And I think even Donaldson had that same issue, you know, back in that like era of of players. It's probably what you'd see. Like he, he'll probably keep it. I doubt that they completely like change his mechanics. But if you're going against a guy that's just pitching a lot faster, and even with the pitch clock now being what it is, he'll probably just have a less pronounced uh, leg kick. Although I, I doubt it goes away if it even causes a problem. Because who knows? Maybe he, he just he does well enough in AAA and the majors. Who knows? But if it were to be an issue, it's just you know make it less pronounced. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll take the the simple route in terms of whatever works. Just keep doing it, and of course that's why we have to see more as well. Uh, from what you were saying, Mark, is that he went up to Buffalo really at the end of the season, and I think we do need to see a lot more than just uh, thirty six or thirty one at bats, sorry, uh, in eight games. So that's the one thing I'm looking for. But I mean, if he does start the season with them, and most likely I think it will, he's most likely going to be the starting shortstop down there, or either way, he's going to be in an everyday role. So he's going to get plenty of at-bats early on as well. So you have a good indication of how he is begun the season, and of course, as he continues to adjust uh, to more major league pitching, of course, in AAA. And that's why spring training is going to be great for him as well. He's going to be in the lineup a lot, most likely, from what I said a few minutes ago. So he's going to get a good taste on that as well. And it just, like, you just see the... It's just crazy still, the the picture that I saw. I know we've talked about it a lot now, but it is crazy when you see a baseball player built like that. And, yeah, I was thinking about the same thing, that there's got to be no chance that he's 175. It's got to be a lot more than that. But in a good way, I mean, it's clearly he's he's a bulky guy, and it really works. And I think a lot of people – I got a comment yesterday, too, saying that his swing kind of gave uh, a reminder of, like, a Colby Rasmus swing. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but that's a, that's a comment I saw. So there's a lot of comparisons – that he's drawing to at least so far from um, from what people have seen from him. And I think he's definitely an exciting guy uh, throughout the rest of the spring. He's going to be a guy up there. I mean, we've talked about Ricky Teedman. We talked about so many guys that we're excited for. Not a lot of attention has been thrown on Barger. And that's another thing now. As the spring cr- progresses, there's going to be more of an interest level on him as well to see how he continues to do and to see how he really is at the end of the spring and where things are. And hopefully... Uh, early on in the season, no matter when it will be, he will most likely get a shot at the team with the team at some point. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of Addison Barger, uh, especially this season and down the road by the uh, most likely. So that's also a really good thing. And of course, you just want him to make sure to continue to hit well in spring training and have a good start with Buffalo this year. Okay. So I've done some research looking at highlights from last season when Barger was in double A, he still had his leg kick, which makes sense. It's only been, you know, less than a full year since that. But you go back and there's some videos from him as a prospect in high school and he doesn't have the leg kick. But that was, of course, four or five years ago. So something's changed in the time between then, but I couldn't find any videos from the time in between then. So that's kind of the picture that we have of him developing the leg kick. But wow, Colby Rasmus, that's a throwback. Haven't heard that name in a while. Major throwback. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, I guess, I mean, the other guy to mention that also had a home run was Santiago Espinal. But... I don't know if we have much to say about him. It seems kind of par for the course. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. No huge takeaways there. Um, one thing I'm going to be watching for in today's game is Rob Brantley. He's a starting catcher for the Blue Jays. And I think we were having this conversation in our Discord at one point. But, like, we know the Blue Jays are a very deep team catcher-wise. And that's why they traded away Gabriel Marino. But now that Marino is not in the system, they got, you know, Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen as kind of the one-two interchangeable as catchers. But then behind them, they don't actually have that much depth right now. Um, And if one of them gets injured throughout the season, we may see a situation where we're going to a third-string catcher, which right now for the Blue Jays is not a area of depth. So let's hope and pray we don't get an injury. But if we do, we're probably going to be seeing someone like Rob Brantley. He's the next guy up on the depth chart right now for the Blue Jays. And so today, and over the course of spring training, I'm going to be watching a little bit on the catcher side of things to see if, A, just how Rob Brantley looks, what we can learn about him, but then also to see if anyone else kind of pops up as a potential third string catcher in that regard as well. Because the Blue Jays don't have Tyler Heineman anymore. They don't have, obviously, Gabriel Marino. They traded away. So I think that's going to be something I'm watching in spring training as well. Um I guess, yeah, any other observations from the first game? Anything else that you guys are watching for as we progress into the first week of spring training games? I think one thing that I'll just mention quickly is, I and I don't even want to mention the word because I know you guys don't think Jinx is a real, but I'm just telling you, we're not having it happen. I do not want the I word to hit any of the regulars. I know it's only been one game. Every, you know, Everybody so far looks fine. I mean, it, these guys barely played, but... I'm just looking for a healthy spring training. You start that season with everybody that you expect, maybe minus one or two, but not for a long period of time, because I think, you know, maybe maybe this is a bit of an overreaction, but 2021 and 2022, Blue Jays, I feel like they, their record should have been a little better, but injuries, and, you know, you look at Springer missing half the season two years ago, and even John Schneider came out maybe a couple weeks ago or whatever it was, said that last season under most circumstances, he would have been shut down halfway through the season. So not not to single out Springer, but you know what I mean? Like you just, you want all those regulars to get their reps in, but also not overdo it. Or, you know, if there's anything going on, just just take the, the utmost precautionary route that you possibly can, because the last thing you want to see is two weeks before the season or a week before the season. And then, oh, they're without somebody else. And then you, you have a situation like you just said, where, Blue Jays, you know, they now have to rely on their depth chart. But I don't think that we're going to get to that case or that situation. I think this team is going to be overall quite healthy this season. But that's just a big thing that I want to look for. Like, the last thing you want to do is is be like, oh, this player is going to do well for them. This one needs to be a needs to be somebody that rebounds. And then, boom, they're without this player or whoever. So that's just the big thing that I'm looking for. Yeah, that, that should be, like, the mindset, like, for, like, every team, basically. But, yeah, I mean... Basically, until opening day, like, you got to basically tread water and obviously hope for the best. I mean, now you're at the point where, like you said, you're trying to get through the spring on a good note. Of course, it's a little tricky this year with a couple guys off to the WBC in a few weeks. So that's why really early on you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and probably Jose Barrios as well before they go off to the WBC uh, because obviously they're not going to be – they're going to depart from camp for a few weeks. So I guess some other stuff I'm looking for, I think – you know, a topic that we haven't really covered, but I guess over the last week it's definitely picked up in terms of uh, news is Alejandro Kirk. I mean, he still has been absent from camp, and it was official as of yesterday that for obviously the best interest of the team, uh, he is backed out of the WBC or at least 
based off of the Blue Jays' uh, strong recommendation or pretty much just blocking it from happening at all uh, as he still awaits the birth of his child. So once he does, or once the birth of his child does happen, it won't be long until he reports, but there's just a lot for him to figure out. I mean, we talked about uh, learning about, or just learning with new pitchers. I mean, Chris Bassett's been a heavy topic of conversation with six or seven maybe even eight different starting or pitches where you kind of have to get used to that. And of course, get your reps in pitch comms, another hot heavy topic this year, because there's a new device where the pitcher can call the pitches rather than the catcher. So there's just a lot of gelling that you have to do as a catcher. And of course, Danny Jansen's been there. Uh, he's been ahead of the game on that. And Alejandro Kirk's been a little bit behind. So it wouldn't necessarily make sense for him to re- report for a week and then go off to play for Mexico in the WBC and then come back at the end of the spring where you're basically running behind on that front. So the catching situation, though, is interesting, Mark. Um, You know, I don't know how in favor you are if in a certain situation, if catcher number three would be a Dalton Varsho. It's just if you do that, if if in a situation where he has to catch, obviously the outfield strength doesn't look as good on paper as well. So Rob Brantley obviously is going to be an interesting part on that as well because basically other than Varsho who can – step back and play catcher, that's who you have. And, of course, I just want to mention, too, just, of course, from typical Blue Jays luck and Gabriel Moreno's first spring training at bat, he hits a home run. I mean, I just found that, of course. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. did as well. See, that I just didn't know. And all of a sudden, Gabriel Moreno shows off the power in his first um, spring training at bat with the Diamondbacks. So, whatever, but I I found that funny. I mean, other than that, I think everything's kind of status quo. I'm, you know, Varsho has been a heavy topic too because he's the new guy around the block. I think it's going to be interesting to see him in the lineup all the time. Um, you know, Bo Bichette is somebody who's looking for a complete season. I'm going to, you know, be focused on that as well. Another guy though that came in yesterday uh, in the middle of the game was Winton Bernard, and I, the only thing I'm looking for with him is just the speed that he has. Like he's a very fast guy. Um, he's obviously not going to make the team, but he's outfield depth. And I just noticed, or came to my attention yesterday when he did come into the game of how fast that guy truly is. So that's something that's going to be just cool to look at to the back of my head uh, throughout the spring. And then, you know, the other thing or the other obvious answer for me is going to be Jose Brios whenever he does start. So I assume at some point this upcoming week, he's going to get a start in. And I think other than that, though, it's just a spring where we basically know the team and there's not a lot where you can focus on other than a few things here and there. And I've mentioned Ricky Tiedman a, or Tiedman a lot, a lot of times. And that's why I think other than that, it's just going to be, just getting a whole sense of everything else uh, for the rest of the spring. Yeah. In terms of uh, the catching situation, I don't want Varsho to be that third catcher. Like, I, it's, I'm happy with him being a third catcher in the sense that you can start both Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk at the same time and not worry about just having a black hole at the catching position in the case something goes wrong. But I don't want him to come in as a replacement in case of an injury where he's taking 10, 15, 20 days as a catcher on the Blue Jays roster instead of being an outfielder. Because I think in that position, the Blue Jays are starting to sacrifice not just defense in the outfield, but also Varsho's offense. Because we know how much of a toll a catcher, the position of catcher can take on someone. So that is an absolute no in my mind. And I think the Blue Jays are probably thinking the same thing. I don't think Anyone in their right mind would keep Varsho in there as kind of a, a third-string catcher in case of injury. Um, it just doesn't seem to make much sense to me, and hopefully it doesn't make much sense to the Blue Jays because I would hate to th- see that. Um, 
Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the pitch clock a little bit because that's been a huge storyline, not just for the Blue Jays, but across baseball. And we saw it in action for the first time on Friday in a couple of the spring training games that happened then. We had Seattle and San Diego, and then was it Texas and Kansas City, I think, was the first two games we saw it in action. We saw a couple calls be made in terms of assigning a strike or assigning a ball if a pitcher or a, a pitcher or hitter was too late getting into the box or onto the rubber. And then yesterday we saw it in action for the Blue Jays. And then we saw some controversy as well in the Red Sox game where it was decided via the pitch clock, which I think is a really interesting dynamic to all of this that is going to become a conversation over the next few weeks before the regular season starts. Um, Bottom line, the way that I'm thinking about this is it's good it's being done now. You know, there's kind of two different approaches that Major League Baseball could take to the pitch clock in spring training. And one of them could be, you know, let's go easy. Let's ease guys into this. Let's say, okay, you were late getting into the box. Next time we're going to call that. That's going to get called in the regular season. You know, keep an eye out next time. Or same could go for pitchers, right? That same type of conversation. That's the one way Major League Baseball could handle it. But the way they're handling it is, no, this is a rule. If you're... You know, a hitter, you're not looking towards a pitcher with seven seconds left, you're going to get called a strike on you. If you're a pitcher and you're not on the rubber and ready to go when the clock hits zero, you're going to get a ball called on the hitter. So I like that Major League Baseball is just saying, no, these are the rules and we're going to play by them in spring training and get you used to them by brute force, basically. And I like that they're doing that instead of easing guys into this. But I do think there's got to be some tweaking around the ninth inning, around games being decided by the pitch clock, because no one wants that. Well, at the end of the day, like, if the Red Sox have the bases loaded two outs and it's a three, two count and they lose based on a strikeout from not looking at the pitcher, who cares? It's spring training. So, well, that's the thing. Like it's happening in spring training and no one cares about the result, but it's good that it's happening now. So we see where the problems are. Yeah. Like I'd rather lose a spring training game in that sense than game seven of the world series. Or I know that's a little dramatic, but it's what I saw on Twitter. People were saying, or even on our discords, like somebody mentioned like, what if it's the wild card or the division series and it's it's a decisive, not even decisive game, but decisive inning. And all I can say is Rob Manfred, he better watch out if that happens. I'm not going to do anything, but like I could see a lot of people getting very, very uh, animated about that. But um, I don't know. I like, I, I don't mind the pitch clock. I will say though, I think maybe it's just because it's new. It, the game felt a little faster than even I could handle. And, and I'm not saying that I, you know, as a hockey and, and and basketball fan that I don't like fast-paced sports. It just, it felt a little weird in the beginning to see, like, holy crap, why is Trent Thornton already pitching again? Like, he literally just threw a pitch. But, um, yeah, it, I think it overall it is, to some extent, it is better for the game to not have random 30, 40-second gaps between pitches. I don't mind that. However, it absolutely needs to be uh, ironed out because you can't have a decisive game go to the fact that Manny Machado was not in the box early enough or even like even that Manny Machado example, that was at the start of the at-bat. Like you can't start off 1-0 or 0-1, you know, if you're a pitcher 1-0, but you you can't have that happen. Like I... Why not? Okay, well, I mean... That's the entire point of the pitch clock. I'm fine with that. Step in the box. It's very simple. Yeah, that part's... Okay, that part is fair but if it's like like the Red Sox example where you have two strikes bases loaded spring training who really cares but you can't have that in the regular season or in the playoffs I think that's what I mean like the the rule I think maybe the workaround at least for me maybe is that you don't decide at bats by the pitch clock 
Like you, you can assign balls and strikes based on the pitch clock until you get to three balls or two strikes. And then it's, it's kind of done with because I like to be, yeah. Like I don't want at bats decided by the pitch clock. I think that's where I kind of take issue with it. And like, yeah, if it's an, if you're walking someone in like the fourth inning, based on the pitch clock, like no one really cares, but when it becomes a problem in the later innings, that's where people care. So I think maybe that's the tweak that can happen or just suspend the pitch clock ninth inning onward. I don't know, but something's got to be tweaked so that games aren't being decided by this. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And I mean, this might make things a little too complex, but if it's, maybe they decide if, uh, you know, it's, if it's this inning on or if, you know, whatever, like if they decide like, okay, in the ninth inning, you get an extra five seconds. I could work, although I feel like that'll just complicate things because then you're like, crap, what inning is it? Like, yeah, you know what inning it is, but you're like, okay, hold on. How many seconds do I have? And like, I could just see that making things way too complicated, but no, the rule, I, I, uh, I'm 50, 50 on it. I like it, but it needs to be modified a little bit so that you don't get situations where a game is being decided or even not, not even just a game. Like say, say the Red Sox, um, this whole situation say it was a regular season game they go on to win in extras fair enough like you know the Red Sox fans wouldn't really care but I mean they'd care in the moment but that, that's what I mean like you just you got to figure out a way so that it's not basically looking forward you can't say that oh this team only won or made it clinch the division or whatever because of this type of situation because that I could see like if, if your goal is to make baseball more entertaining don't make the game end based off of something that a player can't fully control like yeah they can to some extent control it but i'd rather see somebody swing and miss than not be in the batter's box right away they fully could control it and by controlling it you step in the box it's very simple so that's why my approach is very different or it's not very different but for me the approach i have is that it has to be strictly enforced and it has to determine at bats like that because if you don't then people are going to work around it. There's going to be confusion. People are going to get pissed off at this guy. People are going to get pissed off at this guy. People aren't going to know the rules about the ninth inning. They're going to get confused about the ninth inning compared to the fifth inning. It's going to be a whole branch of what ifs. Can you do this? Can you do that? It needs to be strict. And that's why for me right now, it's perfect time to do it in terms of spring training uh, deciding it. I'm glad that we actually had a situation like this happen yesterday where the game tied because of that. And for example, you know, you guys or people, lots of people talking about it in terms of what happens it, or if it happens in October or whatever, by then there should be a full adjustment to it. I mean, that's the expectation, right? Is that it won't take long for these guys to adjust, but um, I just think it's very simple in terms of the idea of the pitch clock, the reasoning behind the pitch clock. And once I think pitchers and catchers are and obviously hitters, all three of those guys once they do adjust to it, I think it'll be very simple and I think it'll be very something or just something that is just the flow of the game. And, you know, you see why the pitch clock was implemented or the reasoning behind it once again. And I think that um, it for me, I've always supported the idea of it. It's just it's been fascinating, though, to see the last couple of days in terms of just the pitch clock being enforced. And this is something that it feels like we've been talking about for years and it finally uh, it came alive this year. And I know a lot of people have been complaining about how it's been you know, you can see it on TV behind home plate. And, of course, Jeff Passon clarified yesterday that once the regular season starts in big league ballparks, you won't actually be able to see the timer uh, on TV. So for people who are distracted by that or whatever, it just you won't be able to see it anyway once the regular season does start. But I'm just happy that they're going through this now. And it's just, for me, the whole idea for it to work 
is that you have to be strict with it and you have to show the repercussions of what happens if obviously you're not in the box or if you're not ready in time. And once they do understand that, I think we'll see less and less of those situations, but it's definitely a new one. I mean, we've never seen this before and it seems like it is here to stay in terms of the pitch clock where it is now the new normal in terms of, um, you know, getting in the box in a certain time or, you know, not stepping out every 30 seconds to adjust your gloves. And of course, Manny Machado was the first violation of the spring when he wasn't in the box. And apparently you need to be, I guess the hitter needs to be in the box and ready to go. Uh, I think it was by the eight second mark. And then of course, and I think you have to be looking at the pitcher by the eight second. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to be ready to go with eight seconds left. And of course, then the pitcher has the other eight seconds to get going too. And there's, there's some sort of rule as well. I don't remember exactly what it is where the catcher has to step in at a certain point. So that's why this is something where, for the first couple of weeks, it's going to be very new for everybody. And there wasn't, um, I don't remember if there was any, vi- I think there was a violation in the game yesterday for the Jays. I can't remember for sure or not. I think there was though, um, where it was a free ball, but then I think the at-bat re- resulted in, or it was a free strike. And then the at-bat resulted in a base hit. So we saw one yesterday in the game as well, not to the extent of the Red Sox game yesterday. So we'll see what happens with it though. It's very 50, 50 in terms of the reaction from, baseball fans some people love it some people hate it and i'm sure you guys have seen the same feedback so it's just something i think we got to get used to and it definitely is working though in terms of the idea behind it because of course games were uh on average i think the first day of spring training about two and a half hours and really the blue jays game yesterday was actually the longest game uh, of the spring and it was just under three hours so you can't imagine how long it would have been without the pitch clock because there have been or there are situations where there are very lengthy spring training games. And I think we saw a lot of, or it's something that we've seen a lot in terms of a few times a week where it just goes on and on because of all the substitutions and all the pitching changes. So it's definitely a neat idea that they finally enforce this year. And we're going to see it pretty much all the spring training when every time there's a violation, there's going to be a post about it. There's going to be people freaking out about it. And I think eventually as the season gets closer, it's going to slowly and slowly die down as we get used to. And of course the bigger bases too are very noticeable on TV. And the idea behind that in terms of stealing, you know, more safety for the players. And of course the shifting, that's the other big one where teams can't throw everybody over on one side. Although there are teams already getting creative where they're still getting guys close to the bag. Cause technically you can still shift a bit. It's just a restricted, a restriction on flipping shortstops over to the second base side or whatnot. I've also seen a lot of people speculating on how outfield shifts are going to change where you like, yeah, maybe you have to keep your second baseman at first baseman on this side of the bag, but okay, you could just move like your left fielder in to become basically a fifth infielder and then you got the same shift that you had before. But I think that will, I don't know, we'll see how that plays out, but that's going to be more in the aggregate. I don't think we're going to notice much in individual circumstances where that rule change is playing out. Same with the the bigger bases. I don't think we're going to see that much make an impact. Like maybe there are fewer grounded into double plays. Maybe there are more stolen bases, but I think those are going to be numbers that come out in the aggregate and we don't so much notice in the individual instances. The pitch clock is going to be the individual instances when this stands out a lot. And I don't know, sounds like you're a hardliner, Bryson, and that you like... uh, the rules, you want them to be followed, and you don't want any exceptions to the rules. But uh, I just think that's the best way to implement it. That's all. That's yeah. all I was trying to say. Like, I, I understand, like, there's got to be some, like, I don't know. You, 
you got to lay down the rule of the law at some point and maybe yeah like i yeah i guess deciding in at bat by the pitch clock isn't the end of the world i just don't want a game decided by the pitch clock because yeah. no one likes that like it'll be fun it'll if it's not my team it's going to be wild to watch and i will gladly watch the world burn but if it's my team i'm going to be part of the people who are burning down the world so that's where i draw the line i don't want a game decided by the pitch clock so i don't know it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out and maybe baseball players are smart enough and they'll realize hey let's not get this game decided by the pitch clock let's just step into the box early enough or let's step onto the rubber early enough and i don't know we'll see how it plays out it's going to be interesting either way um the last thing to talk about we did get a question from one of our listeners finn who asked about the batting order and this is a Here question mostly for you two guys because I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. I don't really care about the batting order. I think it's a bunch of eyewash. It's window dressing. It doesn't matter actually all that much, in my opinion. But I'm curious what you guys think. So the big question is who's batting fourth, I guess, in the lineup. Um, Or, yeah, what the top four is going to be. Because there's a debate around, you know, do you just put your top four hitters? Like, do you do Springer, Bo, Vladdy, and I don't know. I guess the, the fourth is the real question. Like, do you throw Kirk in there? Who is Varsho your fourth best hitter at this point? Like, who do you have as your fourth best hitter? Or, belt. Yeah, Belt is the other one. But Belt comes into the conversation when you talk about, do you prioritize lefty-righty over the talent of the hitter, right? So that's where Belt is like, okay, let's give him regular at-bats at DH and let's put him fourth in the lineup because he's the lefty and he can break up the string of three righties to start the lineup. Or I've heard some people talking about, like, let's throw Belt in second in the lineup to split up the righties-lefties. And I don't know. Again, I this is not an issue that personally excites me very much, but I'm curious what you guys think about the lineup and how the Blue Jays should make their decisions moving forward. Good luck with this one, Jacob. You're going Jacob's first. Jacob's loading up. <laughs> oh, you're so, the you're the guinea pig here. Oh man. So I mean, I I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Springer and Bichette to be the top two. Vladdy and Varsho, I think, are going to be in the top four. I just don't know the order. What? I would assume it would be. I'm, I wow. would assume Guerrero third. Yeah. Varsho fourth. Um, have you ever? I, I would assume. I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. Have you ever given any thought of Bichette hitting fourth? I mean, it's it, here's the thing. He hits a lot. He gets on base a lot. I'd rather him higher in the order because then you get guys like Varsho. He also strikes Kirk, out a uh, lot. Guerrero. Well, yeah, okay, but yes, but I, I prefer him in the higher spots because when he gets on, which is more frequently, that you get the guys like yeah, you can still hit home runs. But anyways, I think he he and Springer. They both get on. They can hit home runs. Like they are like leadoff hitters that can do more than just lead off. If that makes any sense. Other than that, like I think realistically, you have Kirk. Like well, here's the thing. Here, here was the thing. This is where it gets complicated because um, you have two catchers who are going to most likely get regular at bats. You have Merrifield. You have Belt, who are both I think going to get reasonably, uh, reasonably expected to get a lot of at bats. I don't know about Bichio, I don't know about Espinal yet, but you have a lot of players who are going to get a lot of at-bats. So, like, other than that top four, if Kirk's playing, I don't see him going lower than fifth. 
if say Guerrero's not playing, I, don't, I mean, I expect him to play most of the games, but if he's, if he's not playing, you move Kirk up. But I, I think the top four is pretty much set. Other than that, it really depends on a, who's pitching for the other team, B who are the Blue Jays putting out there. And then other than that, I really don't care. Like it, at the end of the day, we're going to see these players regardless. And I think that the top four is the biggest area of concern. And the rest of that is the lineup will, I think, settle itself based off of the, the game scenarios. Okay, so <clears throat> your top four, it was Springer, Bichette, Vladdy, Kirk? No, my top four would be uh, uh, Springer, Bichette, uh, Vladdy, then Varsho. Varsho, okay. But Vladdy maybe mm. hitting fourth? Is that what you said? Yeah, he said that, I right? said, well, I said Vladdy and Varsho are like three and four. It's just, I would assume Vladdy is third, but like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it's them. An extra at bat or whatever. It was. I would hate. Yeah, Vla- no, I so would the, hate them right. if they put yeah. him fourth because that he's not guaranteed to come up in the first inning. He's getting probably, you know, 30, 40, 50 fewer at bats over the course of a season. I would really hate them if they put Vladdy fourth. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But that's the thing. Like my top four is pretty much set. That, that's what I'm getting at. The rest of them, I'm like, I don't really care. Like whoever plays, plays. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll keep this one short, but like this is. Everyone, no matter what you do, that just this seems to be a topic where everybody disagrees with everybody on this one. Uh, basically, the early indication. But look, I think Bichette, basically, when he went on that hot streak last year, the second half or closer in September, he was really pretty sure he was fixed at second in the order. Like the Jays went back to that. I know there was when John Schneider took over, there was the whole experiment where they put uh, Vladdy second and then they put Bo at four. But for me, I just. I like the idea that you have your top three going, and then I think it is important to throw in a lefty in there because I think we also heard the indication that the Blue Jays did feel a lot of the time last year where it just kind of felt like a pitcher would go on autopilot. Like, you're all hitting righties, and basically everybody, it's a very similar approach because there's a lot of similar hitters. And, of course, one of the ideas was obviously on the side of getting run prevention. Shout out to Ross Atkins. You also wanted to get lefty at-bats, and that was Varsho, that was Belt, that was Kiermaier. Kiermaier is a lock at nine. I think everyone is very on board with that from most, for the most part on a healthy lineup. The question for me is the cleanup position, and I agree. I actually agree with you, Jacob, in terms of if it's going to be Varsho or Belt, and if how do you prioritize it if it's a righty pitching? You know, I don't think Varsho came in here to be a platoon guy. He came in here to be every day. You have to remember as well, his outfield defense makes up for him no matter where he is uh, in the lineup. I just like the idea that you have a lefty in there at four as well to split it up. And of course, you have the idea it could be Belt, it could be Varsho, and I think maybe it also depends on their spring. Like I think we, I think Belt's got to prove he's healthy. And he's got to have a good spring because that's obviously the make or break of this deal. If it's going to work out or not is if Brandon Belt's going to be healthy because that's basically what it is. You got him on a bargain and he's also trying to prove himself to be healthy. And then if if Dalton Varsho hits well, perhaps he's in the four hole or maybe it goes the other way. But I think one of those lefties should be four to separate it. I just like the idea that a pitcher has to kind of change his strategy more than just facing four straight righties. And for me, as much as Kirk did really well last year in the four a lot of times, I don't like him necessarily at four. I think I like him around five. And then from there, you go around, maybe it's him or maybe it's Chapman, five, six. And then from the bottom three, you can always flip around um, any day, basically. And you can, I guess, have any order. But I like those top four in terms of Springer, Bichette, Vladdy, and then one of your lefties at four. Yeah, I can get behind that. I don't know how confident I am in Belt. At fourth, because, you know, he played 
78 games last year and hit 212. Like, that's not a fourth hitter in my book. So maybe it's better Varsho's there if we're looking for diversity in the lineup. I don't know. Again, I don't really care. It's hogwash. This topic. It's hogwash. <laughs> it's eyewash. It's window dressing, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it is entertaining to see how it shapes out. I'm going to be interested in seeing how the Blue Jays make their decision because ultimately, from their decision, we can determine how they are valuing things. Like, are they valuing offensive diversity and versatility in the lineup over some of these raw stats and like, do they think that righty-lefty matters? Because over the past few years, we've seen that they don't really believe in the value of a diversified lineup, at least hitting-wise. We know they obviously value left-handed pitchers a lot because the rotation is full of them, but um, they don't seem to really value that in the lineup. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, and it tells us a lot about how the Blue Jays are thinking about this as they develop as a team. But I think that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode as always you can support us by going and rating and reviewing our podcast on wherever you listen but importantly apple Podcasts and spotify helps spread the word about what we're doing here you can join our discord and ask us questions for the podcast or just chat about games as they happen and you can find the link there at the link in our bio on instagram and twitter and tiktok which is at section 138 pod We'll be back in probably a week, maybe earlier if we get some news. Otherwise, we'll catch you then.